Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports and embraces the women behind the military men by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Welcome, Stella, to the Military Wife Life podcast. Thanks for coming on with me. Thank you for having me. So you and your partner have been together for around five years. Can you tell me what service he's in and how you guys met? Yeah, so Brendan is in the Air Force. He's an engineer. We met just through some mutual random friends and we were both married to other people at the time. So we were friends for several years and then both of us weren't married anymore and one thing led to another. How was it going into the relationship with Brendan previously having a wife that had obviously lived the defence life with him? Did he go into it with an open mind and obviously you then had to learn about defence life? Was it sort of like he was starting from scratch with you or how did he sort of approach it? Yeah, so Brendan's actually been married twice before and his first wife was also in the RAF and they had a lot of issues as a result of that complication, I suppose. And I got posted apart and everything that goes with that. So I think when he went into the second marriage, he was trying to work out how to do it differently. And by the time he got to me, I think he was just like, you know what, this is me. This is my life. Just work it out. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of been it really. Were you sort of a little hesitant going into the relationship thinking, oh gosh, two women have found it. The lifestyle, not him, the lifestyle, hard going, you know, am I up to the task of dealing with defense? Life. I think I was super naive because so Brendan's been in since high school, you know, he went to ADFER and, and straight in. So by the time I met him, he'd been in for nearly 20 years and he'd never had a deployment. He'd only moved back and forward between Sydney and Canberra doing back-to-back postings, so sort of six-year postings. So I was kind of naive thinking, oh, this won't be that bad. You know, we move, then we stay somewhere for ages and then we move and stay there for ages and he never goes away. He doesn't really do training and things like that. So I was pretty naive. And then what was the reality? Because he suddenly, after you guys yeah. together a couple of years, he was being deployed. So it's like, what? Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. So we were together for about a year or so when we got orders to come to Canberra, which wasn't unexpected. So that wasn't too bad. And then we'd been here for a month or so and he's like, oh, I'm going to Afghanistan. And I'm like, what, for the weekend? And it wasn't for the weekend. It was, in fact, for six months that turned into nine. And he left just shy six months after we got married so he was off in a foreign country doing the do and I was here by myself three hours away from all my friends and family in a place I'd never lived in and it was pretty intense I had not anticipated it at all which I suppose is probably the same as a lot of people but yeah yeah so how long had you been in the new posting location before he deployed I think it would have been maybe 15 months and do you Um, think that you were sort of established in the area or were you still finding your feet by that stage oh we've been here three and a half years and I still have no idea where anything is so (laughs) I had no idea how to do defense life and he because he'd been living with his previous wife he had forgotten like how moves worked and all that sort of stuff so when we came down here the house wasn't going to be ready because I got a job that I had to come down for before the house was going to be ready so he stayed in Sydney for the removal 
and then he went and lived on base and I came down and stayed with friends until the house was ready and then the downlift happened and all that and it wasn't until about six months later that somebody said you know you get temp accommodation right and I'm like nope I had no idea and had no idea about how any of the moving worked or how to do the house inspection or anything like that. So that was fun. Kind of left to figure it out for yourself, aren't you? I was a little and I think we were just lucky that it went relatively smoothly and we had friends that lived here. We had a guy that Brendan had worked with in Richmond had been posted down here the year before. So I was able to stay with them, which was really good because otherwise I would have been paying like a couple of thousand dollars in accommodation, not knowing that we're entitled to temp accommodation. Had Brendan just totally forgotten, like you said, he'd forgotten how it works? Yeah, just forgot because the last time he moved was six years prior when he'd moved from Canberra to Sydney. And when he did that, he moved in with his previous wife to whom he was engaged. So he obviously had somewhere to go. So he didn't remember about the temp accommodation thing. I had no idea. And then when we got the thing that he was going on deployment, I was kind of like, okay, I don't know how this works. I don't know what to do. And with the Air Force, they don't go sort of in a group like maybe the Army would or, you know, everybody on a ship like the Navy might. They literally, it's just one bloke goes on his own. So Yeah, so you're standing there by yourself, not like next to other people that are about to go through the same thing as you. Exactly right. So, and then there's not really that sort of unit support because he was the only one gone. I mean, I suppose I was lucky in one way that the boss that he had was one of his ADFA classmates. So we had been connecting socially, so I knew him a little bit. But the whole nine months that Brendan was away, I think he called me or texted me like three times, say, how are you doing? And that was it. That's In terms of support. And the things leading up to it, you know, not quite knowing how to do it and realizing that it's not just a matter of making sure your details are correct in PMKs. You've got to put them into 75,000 different systems. Yeah. And even as it was, we didn't find out until he was actually in Afghanistan, but one of the systems still had his mother as next of kin. So all of this information had been sent to her and this little pin had been sent to her. And yeah, so I had no clue. And then not knowing yeah. how the transit works and, and what he can and can't do or what he'd be doing over there. And every time I'd speak to him, it'd be something new. So obviously he was working it out as he was going along and he was so excited because he'd waited his entire career career for this sort of an opportunity so he was like absolutely thrilled which I sort of get now but I was sort of sitting here going no 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 you're meant to be sad about this why are you so happy leaving me alone here in this town in this big house all by myself and at that stage you guys had only been together what three years and like you mentioned married six months it it was pretty full-on yeah I mean some people by even 10 years you haven't got a handle on defense life like three years and then a deployment that you kind of weren't even mentally prepared for it was pretty full-on And I think like none of my friends have anything to do with the military. They don't understand what the military even does. Like what do these guys do on a day-to-day basis? They have no clue. All of the people that we knew in Sydney were still in Sydney and they're sort of like Brendan's friends and their wives, not sort of my friends. So I didn't feel that I could talk to them because we sort of weren't that close. And when we came down here, I met a couple of people So the Duntroon Community Centre had a welcome night, but it was all sort of geared towards people with kids, except for this one book club. So I started going to this book club and I met a few women there and pretty much everything I know about being a defence wife, I learnt from them, which was really, really great. But all of the support, anything that comes up about, you know, when your partner's away, it's all how to help your kids or how to help you help your kids. That's right, yeah. All that sort of stuff. I'm like, okay, well, I don't have any kids. We haven't been married long enough to have kids. What about me? I need support too. And in 
saying that as well, what about, as you mentioned, it's all stuff either for looking out for the kids or for the, the other parent to look out for the kids. How about looking out for the parent or the person who doesn't have kids in order to be able to hold everything else together? Exactly right. And I think I would often see things come up on Facebook, you know, morning teas or dinners or whatever. And so there'd be morning teas at 10 o'clock during the week. And I'm like, well, I work. I can't do that. How dare you be- work? <laughs> How dare you not be a 1970s defense wife following their husband around the country? There was a little bit of that. And sometimes I do feel really guilty because I do work. I have a profession where it's really easy for me to work wherever we go. Like we've only had to move once, but it's been really easy for me to find work. And, you know, I don't have kids that I have to stress about and he doesn't go away all the time and stuff. So I sometimes feel like... You know, I don't have a right to whinge or complain about anything that does happen because everybody else has got it so much worse than I do. You know, everybody's battle is their own. And I actually found it harder without kids because people just assume that you're, you can just do whatever you want. But like, oh, well, well, if you're lonely, go out for drinks with your friends on a weeknight. Like, it's like, yeah, but my yeah. other friends are at home with their husband or they have kids or yeah. they have commitments. Or they're all in a different state. Or- yeah, Exactly. Like, how did the deployment come about? Did he come home and say, I've been deployed? Or did you have some sort of discussion beforehand? Or was it like, Um, okay, this is what I've always wanted and it could be coming up in the next year? Or So I don't know if this is the same with other services or other musters or whatever, but it's kind of his muster is not really deployed very often. He's an aeronautical engineer. So he doesn't get deployed very often. There's not much call for him. But a job came up in Afghanistan for basically a a project manager, which is his sub-specialisation, I suppose you call it. And he put his hand up for it, never thinking for a moment that he'd get it. And then he did. Mm -hmm. And he was very excited. And there was no way in the world that I was going to say no because of course I I knew it was something that he'd always wanted and who knows when another chance is going to come. And he was lucky enough to be able to get onto a different rotation because he was supposed to go on a rotation that would have put him over there for the date that our wedding was booked in. And then the the rotation after that, again, would have crossed over with the wedding. So he was able to get onto the third rotation, which was really lucky that he was able to negotiate that. I mean, we could have moved the wedding, but it was good that he was able to do that. So we had a fair bit of notice that he was going. But in some Um, sense, does that make it worse or... Oh, it made it way worse. Yeah. So I think we found out probably January of 2016 and he went in March of 2017. That's a that long whole, time. Yeah. And it's because of that double, because he delayed until the third rotation. So yeah. it was that full year. So that whole year of 2016, I was planning the wedding because we got married in October, just moved to a new place in a new job where I was working ridiculously long hours, stressing about what a deployment's going to look like, freaking out about watching the news. So I had to stop watching the news, trying to work out how I was going to do this all on my own and you know the stress builds and builds you know planning yeah. a wedding on its own is stressful preparing for a deployment is stressful combine the two and your head explodes and then you had Christmas right just right before and then you're probably in the background also thinking I should probably make some friends so I have some support network in my new location but exactly right happening you just don't have the focus or the energy really to be able to do that exactly right and then his parents came and they wanted to spend time with him which the in-laws are always fun 
fun. And then, and then yeah, I was just stressing really, really badly about the whole thing because I hate not being able to control things. Same. I hate, like, I wouldn't say I'm a control freak, but I like being able to understand what's going on and have mm-hmm. contingency plans and all that yes. sort of stuff. And because I had no control over everything, it was just really bad. How did you manage that? Did you go and see a counsellor or how were you able to, like, manage that anxiety in your head? Look, there was wine. Um, <laughs> there was there was vodka. There was gin. I started focusing on our Rockle trip. Again, working ridiculously long hours did help because I was that exhausted when I got home. I kind of just went to sleep. I have a psychologist that I see fairly regularly. She's fantastic, if for no other reason than in lieu of those other really close friendships. It's somebody that you're literally paying to sit there and listen to. She has to listen to. Yeah. She has to. You know, we got through the first part not too bad. So we had our UK trip, which was great, but I could sort of tell that he was a bit different, but I sort of put it down to, you know, stress and being exhausted. So because um, they work but, oh, 12, off, 12 off or something like that, don't they? Like So where he was, they were sort of, depending on what they were doing, sort of 12 to 16 hours a day. They did half days on Fridays because of the religious things in Afghanistan okay. and they sort of did a half day on Sunday as well. So effectively it's six full days of 12 to 16 hours a day and because he was embedded with the Americans so he often had to be on calls back to Washington so he'd sort of go in work early in the morning have a bit of a break around dinner and then have to go back again to do more calls to the US. Did you guys get your FaceTime or calls or whatever you were doing in or did you email or how did you communicate? Yeah so luckily because he was embedded with the US the internet was better and he had 10 gig a week allowance which was really awesome and the way the time difference worked out him having breakfast was my lunchtime most days we could get a call in luckily where I was working they were pretty understanding they let me have an offer every lunchtime to to have that 10 minute conversation and the 20 minute cry that came after it which was pretty good so I was lucky in that respect so going into Um, the deployment you were saying that you were fairly anxious did you keep communication open with Brendan and tell him how you were feeling or were you trying to like shield him from a little bit of it I tried to keep it a little bit low key, but it would bubble over and I'd lose it. So I did try and then throughout the deployment at varying times, I'd be like, I'm not going to tell him everything. You know, I'm just going to say everything's hunky dory and then I'll get off the phone and, you know, cry like, and then other times I'd be on the phone. I'm like, this is terrible. I can't take this anymore. But, you know, sort of trying to not put it on him for most of it. You were saying that you felt like he was a little bit different when you met up with him. In yeah. The- yeah, I did. And I, I kind of didn't put, because he'd gotten a bit malnourished while he was over there because the mess that they had there was getting rebuilt. So they were on different food that was being shipped in and it wasn't very good. So they were kind of all eating the same thing and they're all getting malnourished. So they all got really sick. So I put some of it down to that, some of it down to being exhausted, still on high alert, different things like that, that a few people had warned me about. And I tried not to think too much of it, but he was definitely noticeably different. And then I think I'd been home maybe two weeks and he's like, yeah, they're extending me. I'm staying until Christmas. So a six month deployment turned into a nine month deployment. So we'd sort of put that rockle trip towards like the two thirds mark thinking that, you know, we'd catch up and then I'd only have a little bit more to go and I'd be all right. But I got home and then all of a sudden it's like, no, it's not this many weeks. It's now three months plus however many weeks. How deflating. It was not awesome. And was that why he didn't see him himself because he knew that and he was scared to tell you or did (laughs) 
No, no, he didn't know until he got back. They had been talking about it, but he didn't think it was going to go through because it was something about it was due to a, a staffing issue with the Americans or something like that. And they wanted him to cover a crossover period or something like that, or he'd done really well and they were moving him on to, I don't know. It was some positive thing that he'd done. You're like, thanks, be- Brendan, for doing your job. Yeah, exactly right. How dare you? How very dare you? <laughs> Like, just, like, stop being good at things. So, I mean, in in that respect, it was a boon, you know, for him and it was really good and he was really proud of the fact that they wanted him to stay and all that sort of stuff. But was he um, feeling just as deflated about staying on longer as you were? No, he was thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) He loved it because I think there's a part of it that was he didn't know if he was ever going to get this chance again. So he was going to milk it for all it was worth and and why not? I probably would have done the same thing. So, yeah, he ended up getting home two days before Christmas with your communicate like phone calls and things like that had you picked anything else up over the phone that he wasn't quite himself for yeah he was getting more and more stressed all the time and I just figured it was down to the work because I, I knew what he was doing to a degree obviously as much as they can tell you and I knew that it was stressing him out and that he had a lot on and he was really doing a lot of hours and things like that I had no idea what was going on in Kabul at that time because I refused to watch the news and I told everybody not to tell me anything about it but there was quite a lot of exploding and people being shot at and things that was going on at that time, which probably didn't help. So I think that was probably stressing him out a little bit as well. Who knew in a war zone people get shot at? Well, because um, you kind of think like if they're not army, it's like, oh, it'll be okay. But the other forces who are going into those areas are still going into areas that are dangerous. Yeah, and I, I thought he would be relatively safe because he was on a base the whole time. What I didn't understand was that he was in a forward operating base inside the Afghan base where there was a lot of green on blue issues. I did not know that. So I didn't know that he was going into meetings where they were, you know, goodwill gestures. Nobody was wearing body armor and things like that. So I didn't realize that until he got home, obviously. But I imagine that would have been stressing him out a little bit because it stresses me out now and he's home safe. So (laughs) I guess it's probably better that you didn't know that until he got home. It's probably good because even when he was, you know, FaceTiming me, if I could see, like, you know, they had the little stand that he put his body armor and his rifle and everything on. If I could see that in the video, it would freak me out. Yeah. So just the fact that I knew that he had a gun on him was freaking me out. Because, I mean, we're Australian at the end of the day. We don't do guns here. It's not a thing that I'm ever comfortable with. That's how guns make me feel. They make me feel like if somebody needs a gun, it's because something bad's going to happen. So the fact that he's getting about with two guns made me (laughs) really stressed out. So he comes home two days before Christmas, which you know how is he like going to like decompress and debrief when I guess probably family want to see him and it's supposed to be a happy time with Christmas and you guys are probably happy to see each other but it's also about I guess coming back down from that high of being on high alert and coming back to normal life how did he go two days before Christmas doing that I want to say not great but it's probably partly my fault so I thought that it would be smart to have like some people around so that he didn't go from being around tons of people to being around like just me. So instead of us going away for Christmas to his family like we normally would, I got the nieces and nephews and my family and everything to sort of scatter visit over those days. So there were people around all the time and I thought that would help him transition in, you know, from going from lots of people to a few people to just him and me. But in actual fact, that was a bad idea (laughs) and he kind of just wanted to have some time just for us. So he was still pretty stressed out the whole time. So, you know, the naivety of never having done it before, it seemed like a really good idea. Did he have like a extended break over Christmas, enough time to sort of like get back into the swing of normal life over here or how did he go about starting his job back over here? Yeah, so that didn't go 
it terribly well. He had the, the war leave, the two weeks or whatever it is, and I guess was having a few readjustment issues, as we all were at the time, and he had gotten into mountain biking. So he went over to the Adventure Park at Stromlo on his mountain bike, and he was out there on his own, and nobody knew where he was. And next thing, I get a phone call from him, and he sort of sounds a bit out of it, and he's like, oh, hey, I am... Um, I fell off my bike. I'm okay, but I'm at the doctor's. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll come and get you. He's like, no, no, I'm okay. I'm like, all right, well, I'll come and get you anyway. Okay. Ten minutes later, I got another call. Hey, so I um, I fell off my bike. I'm like, I know, you called me already. What's wrong? And this went on two more times. I'm like, where are you? And he said, I'm at the medical center. I said, all right, give the nurse the phone. He gives the nurse the phone and said, so what's going on? She goes, oh, no, he's, he's come off his bike. We're going to take him up to the hospital for some x-rays, things like that. He's fine. Come meet him here. And I'm like, okay. She goes, yeah, yeah, we're going to take him to Queenbian. That's all right. And then I get a call back from them saying, yeah, we're not going to go there anymore. We're going to take him to Canberra because we think he needs a, a machine that's at Canberra. So we'll take him there. Okay, well, I'm almost there. So I'll meet the ambulance and, I, and I'll go with you. Like, I can take him for x-rays. It's not that big of a deal. And the nurse is like, no, 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 no. You know, the ambulance is here. We're just setting him up to go and, and he, can, he can get transported in the ambulance. So I get to the medical center, open the door, and he's got four paramedics around him. He's black and blue. They've got a backboard under him. They're putting a neck brace on him. He's covered in blood. And <laughs> they're like checking him for spinal injuries and internal bleeding and all sorts of things. By the end of the day, we knew that he had a fractured collarbone, which had been fractured in two places. He'd been unconscious after this accident for about 30 to 40 minutes, we think. <gasps> oh my gosh. By himself, yeah. So at some point he came to, got up, took the bike back to the car, drove from Stromlo oh to a house, dropped the bike off at home so it would be safe, drove himself to the medical centre and went in and said, oh, I've come off my bike and kind of half collapsed. Have you heard about our Lots of Love Care Packages? An anonymous and free box of self-care goodies that can totally make a military spouse's day. It's a way for friends and family to send an acknowledgement in the mail to a military spouse to let them know they're awesome and the Military Wife Life community has their back. Pop over to the Military Wife Life website after you finish listening to this episode, of course, and sign someone up for the Lots of Love box. And then over the coming weeks, we found out that he had also damaged his radial head in his right arm so badly that the surgeon said he couldn't fix it. So they removed a section of bone and replaced it with a prosthetic. He partially degloved one of his fingers. Um, he was having some memory issues. I went to see the GP just to get, I don't know, I think antibiotics or something for myself. And he was asking after him and I, I told him what was going on. He goes, yeah, I'm not quite sure how he didn't die. That's reassuring. Thanks for that. Well, um, I mean, he can survive an international deployment and he gets oh, yeah. home and he does that and then he manages to drive his bike back home. Yeah, it was this whole thing of, you know, send him to a war zone and he's completely fine. Send him out on a push bike and he nearly dies. I think he ended up having either five or six surgeries over the year. So he didn't work for the entire year. He was on medical leave the entire year. So he never went back to work until about October last year. So he was off a full nine or ten months or something. What a lovely introduction to marriage. A it deployment was, um, and surgery. So like, you know, stressful things to put your relationship through. It was pretty stressful. And I suppose because, you know, he came right back and we had Christmas. And unfortunately, I wasn't given time off work. So I had a different job at this point. So I quit the first job because I was working too many hours and it was too stressful. And then he came back from his deployment. 
and I told them, you know, I need to take the day he gets off home. So he was getting home on the Thursday. Yeah. Friday was the last day of work before Christmas. I said, I'm going to take Thursday and Friday off and I'll be back after Christmas. And at one point they wanted me to come back in on the Friday. And I'm like, are you crazy? I haven't seen this guy in nine months. You've got to be just, yeah. that's not going to happen. If anything, I'm calling um, in sick. Sorry. <laughs> pretty much. And then they didn't want me to take any time off because I said I wanted two weeks off so that we could, you know, see each other. And they wouldn't let me. So I was back at work on the 2nd of January which was pretty hard and that's when he was sort of here on his own doing nothing which I don't think helped um, and then yeah. he had his accident and then the company I was trying to explain you know I've got to go and take him in for these surgeries because he can't use his arm I need to sign all this paperwork for him because I still had power of attorney and everything and they weren't going to let me have time off to take him to hospital and things like that so they weren't a great place there? to work oh god no yeah I hightailed it out of there but it was a pretty stressful year and I suppose because we went from him getting home to me going back to work, to him getting injured, to being in and out of hospital and he wasn't sleeping because of the pain and yeah. you know, he couldn't lie down and all this sort of we stuff. So we had no quality time together. Not really. So we basically didn't get an opportunity to start this whole reintegration thing properly until the end of last year, mm. by which time we'd, you know, we'd been through so much and we'd been fighting so much. I was lucky enough to go up as a volunteer for the Invictus Games, which was actually really great because I met a lot of, you know, Australian families and American families and Canadians and who were all sort of going through various versions of the same thing where you had issues with mental health or with injury or there was a few wives that I spoke to that had been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress as a result of dealing with their husbands because mm -hmm. it's like a you're so focused on making sure that they're okay, you sort of start getting this over analyzing everything and being over sensitive to everything because you're trying to create a situation where they're safe and comfortable yeah. So being on guard all the time and on high alert, I guess. Yeah, all the time. And um, so going up and, and having that experience was actually really cathartic in a way because it's kind of like, okay, so it's not just me. It's not that I'm failing at this. It's just this is just what it's like. Yeah. It just, it just kind of sucks. Um, it's just really hard. Yeah. And everybody's, everybody's going through some version of this. And then when you actually got back to work and everything sort of normalized a little bit yeah it started to get a little easier but yeah. by that point you've got you know the year leading up to deployment being super stressful the nine months of the deployment being super stressful the nine ten months of him being back where he's injured and everything's like so high tension and all the rest of it that's really stressful so it's not just the nine months of the deployment it's been like the last three years it's only just now sort of starting to calm down we're sort of starting to be able to a place now where we're getting back on track yeah the boring monday to friday life is like exactly what you've probably been craving like get home from work have dinner together and just breathe pretty much yeah like sitting on the couch watching the block is suddenly like the greatest thing in the whole world and, you know, people are talking about, you know, we're going on this holiday or we're going to watch this show. And I'm like, dude, I do not care. I want to be on my couch in my pajamas watching this show with my husband, not fighting, not being cranky at each other, talking to each other because, you know, there was so much time where we might be in the same room, but he'd be doing something and I'd be doing something else because we just didn't know how to interact anymore. So it's like this person comes home and as much as the person who came home is my husband, he's also not my husband. Sometimes I, when it's really bad, you sort of think, okay, well, and I feel awful for saying it, but in some ways my husband died over there 
and they've sent me back somebody else. And I don't know who this person is. He looks like my husband and he sounds like my husband, but I have to get to know him because he's a completely different person. And that sounds really extreme, but like even stupid little things. So he never drank beer, hates it, couldn't stand it, couldn't get him to drink it if you paid him. He came back and now all of a sudden he's a beer connoisseur and, and he's brewing beer and he, he's into lagers now and all this sort of stuff. All because over there they were drinking, I think it's called knee beer or something like that. It's the non-alcoholic beer. And it became a really big part of his, you know, the social interactions that they had on their downtime and he got used to the taste. And now I guess it's something that's uh, like a positive social thing for him. So now he's really into it. And like, my husband doesn't drink beer. My husband hates beer, but this guy drinks beer. Yeah. And like you yeah. said, it's like a small thing, but it's a big thing because that wasn't him before and now it is. Exactly right. And it's all sorts of silly little things and then also big, massive things. And every day you have this conversation and you're like, oh, I want to do this. And you go, but you don't like doing that. Yes, I do. I'm like, well, no, you don't. You don't like that. Yeah. No, I do. And, and he's just like, oh, okay, you didn't before, but you do now. Yeah, and here and, you are, you've been at home doing the same stuff, staying the same sort of thing, yeah. waiting for him to come back to re-enter the family and be the same with you and be that couple that you knew, but it's totally different. You're the same, but he's not. Yeah, and then you have the other thing, which I'm sure there can't possibly be a military wife that doesn't have it, where you were on your own for so long, you can do everything yourself now, you don't need anybody's help. It's nice to have people's help, but you don't need it, so you don't think to ask. Yeah. So I'll be carrying in like seven shopping bags all on my own and he's standing right there. He's like, do you want a hand? I'm like, no, I can do it Yeah. because I know I can. I don't need anybody to do anything for me because I had to do everything for myself. And there's some part of the mentality where I can't switch that off. And I guess because when he came back and then he injured himself, you then couldn't also rely on him for stuff like that. And so did you have a moment where you can think back where everything had sort of settled and he had his surgeries and he went back to work? Did you have like that one moment where you thought, oh, finally that weight sort of started to lift off my shoulders. I think there's been a lot of times. So you think everything's good and then something will happen and it'll go bad again. And then you have to ride that wave. And then like, okay, everything's kind of calmed down again now. I think we've got this under control. It's all good. And then something else will happen. You're right back to the start again. So it's like this constant waiting and watching and seeing what's going to happen and making sure that everything's okay. And I sort of think by the time we actually get the hang of this and, and we're okay again, they'll send him away. <laughs> And I'll have to start all over again, but maybe not. I don't know. He's getting old now, so maybe they won't send him again. <laughs> and so does he do anything to look out for his mental health? Like you obviously still see your psych. Does he, or did you guys go along together for any counselling together since you mentioned you were fighting and having a hard time together? Before he went away, I made him promise that if he came back and I thought that something was off, that he would go and see a psychologist. And obviously when he came back and everything happened, I'm like, dude, you need to go and talk to somebody and he did I don't know what they talked about and I don't know if it did any good but you know I think there's a big issue with mental health in the military where you know not only do the guys not want to talk about it because they're all alpha males but even the ones that do they can't get the support that they need you know everybody's always really keen to say oh you should contact open arms or vvcs whatever it's called now which we did at one point and it was a six-month wait to see somebody through vvcs at that time and i sort of thought yeah it's great that you're offering this service but you haven't resourced it correctly yeah, yeah so, so like why, this- what is the reasoning for the six-month wait because that 
don't have enough staff covering. They said it's going to take six months to get an appointment. That's how long it's going to take. So luckily for us, we're in a fiscal position where we can just go and pay for it. Like we're not in a position where we can't afford to go and pay a private psychologist. So we're very lucky. And that ended up not being a factor for us because we just went and saw it privately. But I sort of, it made me think about people who are not lucky enough to be in that fiscal position where they can afford to, you know, dole out 250 bucks a fortnight to talk to somebody. What are they supposed to do? Yeah, that's a lot of money a fortnight. I'm lucky in my job that it was easy for me to get something and I get a nice chunk of cash in the in the bank every month. There are a lot of people that aren't that lucky. And I don't think that the general public realises that. I mean, this experience for me of being a military wife and being the wife of a deployed person and then the wife of a injured person, it has just highlighted to me how much there isn't available for families, whether that family be a couple or a couple with kids or a single person. There's no support. There's no guidance Like if you don't have people in that defence community who can help you or offer you guidance or point you in the right direction, you're kind of screwed. I didn't know any of this stuff before I started. Until you start digging, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if I hadn't been lucky enough to meet a few of the people that I did at that book club all those years ago, I wouldn't have had the foggiest idea of where to start. There are services that are available like Open Arms or VVCS, whatever it's called, and, you know, the chaplains and things like that. And whenever you, you know, have a chat on the Facebook group, people will be like, oh, I'll contact this person or, or do this or do that. And then you get there and that group's not resourced well or they're not available or or it's not, you know, aimed at you or in the wrong group or, or whatever it is. And it, it keeps yeah. pushing us to just being here for each other. You know, a lot of the stuff, if I get stuck, I'll ask a question in, in the Facebook group because somebody in there is going to know. You know, I, it's the greatest wealth of knowledge that I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Is And what makes it even harder is if obviously you're then reliant on the member or your partner to gather that information. Say if you haven't asked in a Facebook group, um, which, you know, defense shouldn't be relying upon Facebook groups to give people information. Um, exactly but if right. you're relying on the member to get the information, but the member doesn't think they have a problem or that yeah. they need to seek help. They're not going to push themselves to go forward and seek that. I don't think there's any other job in the world where the families are such a huge part of what the husband's job is, because this isn't just a job it's a lifestyle it's not my husband's job it's my life because I can't decide where we live I can't decide how long we're going to live there for I can't know where he's going to be at any given time. I can't plan anything too far away because, you know, something could come up and he's got to go and do something. I don't know anybody else that is in that same sort of situation. I don't know anybody whose husband or or wife or partner or whatever is in a job where, you know, work says you've got to go here and they go, you know what, that's not convenient. Can we reschedule? We can't do that. It just, it is what it is. They say your husband's going somewhere, then he's going somewhere. And that's the end of it. You know, we sort of arm and are about whether we'll buy a house in Canberra. Are we going to be here for very long? Is it worth buying a house here in Canberra? Do we just not worry about it? I don't know. And, you know, I've got friends going, oh, I'm going to move here and I'm going to... I'm like, I would love to be able to move house. Yeah. I would love to be able to say, you know what... I want to live in blah, blah. We can't do that. And it's not the sort of thing that you can replicate in any other job. And I don't think that people who don't live it understand that because I certainly didn't before I got together with Brendan. I didn't think it was that big a deal. I had one other friend whose husband was in the army, but we weren't like super close. So I didn't really have a good understanding of, you know, whether he was home or away or anything like that. And I just think civilian families don't really 
get it. The amount of times you hear, oh, you signed up for it and you knew what you were getting yourself into. And I said, when somebody has a baby and that baby as a newborn is crying all the time yeah. and the mum really tired and stuff like that, you don't say to that mum, oh, well, you knew what you were getting into. You yeah. say, oh, that's sad. How can I help you? What can, you know, I'll look after the baby. You go have a nap. You don't go, oh, well, you had a baby. That's your problem. And I don't see why it's any yeah. different for us. Just so what's the verdict? Harder with them being away or harder with them being back? For me personally, I think it was harder once he got home because when they're away, you miss them like crazy. And that first probably two to four weeks is really, really bad. And then you kind of get the hang of it and it's okay. And then the last month before they come home is really hard because you're counting down the minutes. But everything in between that, you're kind of okay. You sort of, you lose it for half an hour a day, but then you're kind of, you're kind of managing it. And then they come home and it's a whole different ball game. It's not you come home and you settle back into things and everything's fine. It's, it's you come home and you have to relearn each other. You have to relearn everything about each other. So how yeah, do you so- go forward with defence life after the last couple of years and what you've experienced? Like, I mean, you sound like you're a little let down by defence and, I mean, it takes a lot to be able to go forward with a positive attitude towards, you know, future postings and defence controlling your life and you sort of not having control over where you go or him going away. So how do you reconcile in your mind going forward for your own mental health, I guess, with living your job and your life and your marriage with Brendan alongside Defence Life? Honestly, I, I don't know some days. It's, it's one of those things that you make a decision at some point about whether it's worth the fight. And I think sometimes you have to make that decision every day or multiple times every day. And I am really disappointed in defence in a lot of ways, in the way that they, you know, it's not like they only just invented the military five minutes ago. They should have gotten the hang of how to support these guys and how to support the families by now. And I guess I'm I'm constantly disappointed by the things that I hear and, and the trouble that I see people going through. And I don't understand why it needs to be this hard. Why does it have to be this hard? And so what does the immediate future look like for postings? Well, his posting cycle has gone all weird because when he went on his deployment, his previous, like the job that he was in, got given to somebody else. So he got a new job when he came back, but then he was injured. So that job went to somebody else and then he got put in a new job. And I think he's getting swapped into a different job next year. So I'm actually not entirely sure what year of the posting we're on. Sounds pretty right. (laughs) I I think we might be on year one of a three year, but I'm not not really sure. What he's led me to believe is that we'll stay in Canberra for a while based on seniority and, and roles and things like that, but I don't really know. And I guess that's pretty normal. I know he's getting shifted to a different job next year, but I don't think it's a reposting. I think they're just reallocating him. So I have no idea. But I think that's the same for everybody. You can think you're you're here for three years and then suddenly something happens and it's like, oh no, now you're going to Townsville. Yeah, suddenly someone discharges and someone else is needed here and shifted it here. It's kind of like for the time being, we're here and we keep plugging through and one foot in front of the other and drinking lots of wine and hoping for the best yeah (laughs) I think that's all you can do and and you know as I said before I I do feel guilty sometimes that I think it's so hard because I know compared to other people I've got a really easy you know I've got a friend who's moved 
I think she's moved nine times in 11 years or something like that. And I'm like, comparatively, I got it pretty easy. But, but like, I, like I've said before, hard is hard. Like you could exactly. do a three-month deployment and that could trump a nine-month deployment because all the stuff happens in that three-month deployment. Like you could sail through yeah. a nine-month deployment and go, wow, that was pretty good. But someone's sitting over there who's done a three-month deployment, doesn't want to put their hand up, but they've really had a shit of a time. Yeah. And you never know. And you, you know, know like unless you are dealing with someone that has to have surgeries and is in pain and isn't the same person because they've come back from a deployment and they've come from a high to a low and that's way harder than dealing with a deployment and someone comes back and everything's okay like and you're exactly right everybody's just hard in slightly different ways for all of us and I guess everybody's dealing with their own hard behind closed doors because we're also used to just dealing with it and maybe if we stop just dealing with it and start talking about it and start making sure that we're all checking up on each other as much as we can with the limited spare time that we have. Maybe we can make it a little bit easier for each other, which is one of the reasons I love this podcast movement that you're doing with, you know, we've all got to help each other. We're all in it together because at the end of the day, we're the only support that we have for each other, really, because nobody else gets it the way that that we get it. You can tell a, a story to a defense wife that you've never met and she's going to understand that story in seconds, whereas you could spend three years trying to explain it to somebody else and they just will never ever understand well thank you so much for coming on the podcast good luck with finding out what stage your husband's posting cycle is and (laughs) whether you will be in the same place for a couple of years or yeah i just i yeah the air force organizes everything at the very last minute so i imagine they'll tell me sort of on tuesday and we'll move on wednesday i'm I'm getting the feeling stop trying to understand things just accept it I so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 